Good morning everyone, my name is Grant if we haven't met before and we're into part three of our Abide series and what I'm quite excited about is next week we've got my friend Mr. Brad Sarian who most of you know is a good friend of our church, an amazing preacher, just a wonderful man and he leads Restored Church in Northridge in Los Angeles. He's going to be with us in our video and he's going to be sharing the final part in the series around Jesus and joy from verse 11 of John 15. Uh, but as we get into this morning's message, I want you just to pause for a second and think about a situation where you have stayed somewhere for quite a while and where it has shaped you in some kind of way. Now, I, I know the low-hanging fruit or the low-hanging answer to that question is obviously about lockdown. I think we've all been shaped by this time in some way. Maybe it'll be lasting or maybe it won't. But I know for me, around the like six-week mark of being at home, I definitely started to feel a little bit down, a little bit discouraged. I was missing people. I had cabin fever. I was tired of being cooped up. But at the same time, as I look back 150-something days into this period, I know that I've had amazing moments with my wife and my daughter that I would never have had if I wasn't at home. And just even in those small little moments throughout the day, I'm so grateful that we've been able to share those together. You see, when we stay somewhere for a long period of time, it, it marks us. It has an effect on us, whether that's good or bad. And if you have met my wife, Michelle, before, you'd know she's got an interesting story and an interesting accent. She was born in England and then moved to the U.S., back to England, to Zimbabwe, South Africa, to the U.S. for a little bit, and then back to S.A. So she's lived all over the world, and those different places she's lived in have marked her significantly, and particularly they've marked her accent. And Shell's really sad that her English accent has gone away and that each of those different places she stayed have shaped the way she sounds today and that it makes her sound to many people like she's Australian. Now, people who've literally known her for years still think she's Australian. And every now and then someone will tease her and call her Sheila or say good day mates or something like that, even though they've known her for so long. And I'm looking predominantly at Damien Lindica this morning as I say that. But living in these different countries has had an effect on her in a number of different ways and it's evident in her accent and in the way she speaks. Now maybe another way you can think about is the way that the people we spend time with, the people we interact with, shape us. Growing up, I'm pretty sure your parents were wary of you spending time with some people and really encouraged you to spend time with others. They, they didn't want you to be negatively influenced by the bad kids, but they wanted the good kids, the smart kids, the the kids who they thought could make you a better person to stamp their imprint on you. Now, there's that old saying that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What about how dogs and dog owners seem to look like one another more and more over time? I don't really understand how that works, but let me show you a few examples just to illustrate that a bit. Don't you think those are pretty, pretty amazing dogs and owners? Listen, this is honestly only semi-relevant to what I'm talking about today, but I think these pictures are pretty entertaining. Or maybe lastly, and most in line with our series at the moment, um, is the fact that when people who are making wine, they take the wine and they put it into a cask. And that cask or that barrel is made from a certain type of wood that they're wanting the wine to take something of the flavor and the influence of that barrel to make the final product. Sometimes they even put wood chips or other elements into that cask to shape the flavor profile as it sits for months or even years preparing and uh maturing so that it will be the wine that they want you to drink. And for you and I, when we plant ourselves in something, when we stay or abide or remain in something, it shapes us and changes us in some kind of way. So I want to ask you to think as we go through John 15 verse 1 to 11 now, think about where you are abiding, what you are staying in, where you are planted and how that is shaping you at the moment. 
Let's read our passage together. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, pray and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now this passage talks about remaining in a number of different things. Most translations say abide. You'll remember that from the versions we've read before. But the CSB says remain. And this kind of remaining is what Jesus desires for you and I. Uh, He's calling us to remain, to plant ourselves, to abide, to dwell, to stay in certain things that are going to shape us for our good, that are are going to influence us and help us to become more fruitful and to know him more. So as we spoke about in week one, Jesus says five times in this passage, in just four verses, that we should remain or abide in him. If you missed the first part of the series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that, because I think that'll really help you to understand what Jesus is saying to us from this passage really well. But the other things that he says that we're going to look at today, on verse 7, he really calls us to remain in the word and to remain in prayer. And in verse 9 and 10, three times he calls us to remain in God's love. So I want to look at those three ideas this morning. And we'll start with this idea of remaining in the word in verse 7. Well, the way Jesus says it is, let my words remain in you. Now, this does mean something different to just casually having a Bible on your bedside table or having a Bible app on your phone, which is a start at something. It also means more than just listening to a sermon on Sunday or maybe listening to a lot of Christian podcasts during the week. And it means a lot more than just having a good theology or being well read with Christian literature or knowing a lot of Bible trivia or information. All of those can be really good things. But the idea that's going on here is that we should have God's word living and abiding and transforming and shaping us from the inside out. We want to get God's word in us so that it can affect us. This is not just about accumulating information. This is about being transformed by the word of God, letting it change us and shape us and speak to us and challenge us and convict us and make us into the people God has called us to be. So why is it so important to get the Word of God inside of us? What does it do? Well, for the Christian and for the church, the Bible is central to our faith and to following Jesus. In our statement of faith, you can find this on our website, we have this to say about the Bible. We believe that the Bible alone is the infallible, inspired Word of God, and that its authority is ultimate, eternal, and final. The Bible, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is a complete and unified witness to God's redemptive acts and is the source of all doctrine, instruction, correction, and training. So the Bible is pretty important to the church and to Christians. Secondly, the reason the Bible is so important is because 
The Bible points us to Jesus. Now, we exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. As a church and as individuals, we are all about Jesus. We want to know him, we want to love him, and we want to enjoy him for ourselves. And if the Bible is going to point us to him and reveal him and help us to know him, then we should be all about the Bible. Now, in Luke 24, verse 27, there's this moment where Jesus is speaking to two guys. They're walking along the road, and Jesus shows them how the Bible does this. He says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the whole Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as you read the Old Testament, you might not see Jesus popping up all the time, but the whole of the Old Testament, those many, many different books written over centuries by many different authors are all pointing ahead to Jesus. They're revealing something about him, what he's about, who he will be. And as we read the scriptures, we get to know him better. Michael Horton says, apart from Christ, the Bible is a closed book. Read with him at the center. It is the greatest story ever told. Thirdly, and you might not have thought of this before, Jesus was a really big Bible guy. See, we don't know if Jesus had the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament memorized, but he definitely had large portions memorized. And we see this. He's often quoting scriptures. He has interactions and conversations with people. And when he teaches, he uses the Bible as his authority to back up the points that he is making. Now, I want you to think about this for a second and see the irony that's going on in the fact that Jesus Christ uses the Bible as his authority for what he says. And I'm saying that because Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh, God among us. And Jesus, when he taught, when he answered people's questions, he used the Bible. He used the scriptures to back up what he was saying and to communicate the word of God. Now, now think about that for a second. The scriptures is the word of God written down by Moses and David and other authors. And here we've got God in the flesh using his words written down by mankind in the scriptures to answer people as their authority for life and godliness. It's pretty crazy. What we see in the life of Jesus is that God himself endorses the Bible, that God himself recognizes that the Bible is his gift to us for knowing truth and knowing what is right and knowing him. All scriptures are a gift from God given to us that have authority over life and all things. And for you and I, if we worship Jesus as God, then we've got to take his his word for what it is. You know, Jesus called the Bible the word of God. And if he was a big Bible guy and we want to be about the things that Jesus is about, then we've got to be about the Bible too. Fourthly, scripture is food for our souls. And I want to spend a bit of time on this point. Jesus says in Matthew 4 verse 4, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, for those of you who've been making sourdough during lockdown, this is a pro-bread passage for you. But what it is saying here is not that we don't need bread, but that we need more than bread. We need more than just food or water or, or nutrition. We need more than just natural things or biological nutrition. We need something supernatural. We, we need something beyond that. And what it is saying to us is that if we want to survive, if we want to be healthy, we need God's word, which is a different kind of food for our souls. Now, we live in a culture, and Durban, I think, is particularly strong in this, where we are really careful about what we eat and what we put into our bodies, the kind of fuel that we use, because we know that what we eat, what we consume is shaping us, that it's either helping us to be healthy and strong, it's taking care of our skin and our, our health and everything, or it's not. So we're very careful about what we put into our bodies, but often we're not as careful about what we put into our souls. 
You know, we might watch or read or listen to all sorts of different things without thinking about the effect it could be having on us and our relationship with God and the way we see the world, whether that's the way God wants us to or not. And instead of nourishing our souls and spirits from God's word, you know, sometimes we put things inside of us which are just not good for us. Things we would never think of doing when it comes to our bodies. You know, our bodies are a temple. We'd never eat that. We'd never put that inside. But when it comes to our souls, sometimes we treat them like a sewer, just throwing in absolutely anything we want. What I want to show you this morning is a short clip from a movie or a documentary called The Sugar Film, which I think will just show you a little bit about how consuming things that are not necessarily good for us can have a terrible effect on us. I hope you enjoy this. It's pretty common for people around here to drink a lot of pop. Mainly it's Mountain Dew and Pepsi. This is 17-year-old Larry. He's lived in Kentucky all his life. This is his tat. This is his favorite t-shirt. And these are his teeth. My 18th birthday is in eight days. And, uh, I mean, people look down upon me because of my teeth. Uh, As I was a kid, I was never worried about my teeth. And uh, I would just take a pop everywhere I went, and I always had one in my hand. And what? And how old do you reckon you were when you had your first Mountain Dew? Like how old? I would probably say two or three. And how much a day would you say you had? I would say at least four or five bottles. If if it was cans, I would say at least a twelve pack. Twelve cans a day. Is that is that are the people doing that in this town? Is yeah. It? What about you? Were talking about your cousin before? I would say about six or seven cans a day and uh he's only three years old and that, what how does he does he drink it from the can no from the bottle she puts it in his bottle edwin is meeting larry today because he plans to remove all of his teeth and replace them with dentures he has 26 teeth that need to be extracted altogether. I'd like to say that that's really rare, but it's not. As you watch that clip, I hope you're thinking to yourself, goodness me, if Mountain Dew can do that to a mouth, if it can rot those teeth and those gums and affect him in that way, what are the things that I'm consuming doing to me? Is it a positive or a negative response? And are the things that I'm putting into my soul, just like that drink, are they unhealthy, nutritionless, sugar-high, Gross drinks that are going to rot my teeth or rot my soul or, or rot me from the inside out. Because Jesus says to us that his word is good spiritual food that will nourish our souls and strengthen us. Lastly, scripture equips, develops and prepares us for life. I think all of us have had good teachers or coaches or mentors somewhere in our lives in the past. I know when I was boxing, kind of in those pre-lockdown days, I had a coach named Sean. He was an amazing coach, really good at remembering different details. And he helped me with my footwork. He helped me with my punches. He helped me with just getting fitter and just training in certain ways. And then when I did spar a couple of times, he helped me with my technique. I think about when I cook, you know, often I'll use a recipe or, or watch a YouTube clip to help me to know what I need to buy, the method I need to use, the preparation style, all of those things so that I can make the food the way that it is meant to be prepared. When it comes to saving and preparing for the future financially, often we'll go to a financial advisor to get their advice so that they can help us put money into the right, um, right different things. And when we need advice, 
we go to someone who's got a good track record, someone who, who's actually done this, someone who's got experience, someone who's got wisdom, so that they can help to guide us and give us the advice we need to make the decision that we're going to make. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you want to be wise, equipped, mature, developed, if you want to be well-prepared or spiritually capable for life, then you need to let the scriptures have their way in you, to to devour them, for, for them to remain in you and to shape you from the inside out. I just want to say we have got more resources at our disposal than any other generation in the history of the world. Good, free, accessible resources that are online. And if you don't know where to start to help you to read and study and understand the Bible better, you can go to our website, harvestcity.co.za. You can go to our blog page. We've got a blog up there called How to Read the Bible, which is very practical and simple, how to read the Bible and interpret it. We've also got a list of different resources and websites and podcasts that you can check out. Some of those are free. Some of them you do need to pay for. But the other thing is we we point you to the Bible Project website and podcasts to help you just to explore the different books of the Bible, different themes of the Bible, and even get a little bit deeper into some very interesting theology. But the second thing that Jesus says here is he calls us in verse 7 to remain in prayer. Or at least that's my paraphrase of what he says. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. Pray. And it will be done for you. Remain in prayer. Now, if you're coming to that verse out of context, it can seem like you've just come upon a blank check. You know, Jesus has just said, if you do this and this, then you can ask whatever you want and it's yours. Ka-ching! You know, that's an amazing promise of scripture. You might be thinking, okay, cool, I'm going to abide in him. I'm going to get his word in me and then I'm going to make it rain. You know, billions of rand. Ka-ching! I'm all about that the dream job, the dream partner, the dream holiday, whatever it is, this feels like a real name it and claim it verse. And that's not what Jesus is saying there. I'm really sorry to burst your bubble. But what is going on here is as we abide in Jesus and as his word abides in us or remains in us, we are changed. And our motives and our priorities and the way that we see the world and what we desire is changed to become more and more like God's. So for instance, when we are remaining in Jesus, We don't pray against the trials that we might face in life. What what we do is we know that God is able to use those trials for our good. So we rather pray for ourselves that God would give us the endurance and the faith and the strength to endure the trial that we're going through. You know, as we abide in Jesus, we don't necessarily just pray for career advance, for a promotion, for more money. What we do is we actually pray for those things, but we pray, Lord, Would you help me in my work to advance your work in the world? You know, we don't just pray for a lot of cash like like that job one. What we do is we pray that God would bless us, that we could be a blessing. We see the generosity with which he's uh, given us in his son. And we want to share that generosity with others too. See, abiding in Jesus changes us. It changes our motives. It changes what we want. And as we pray in line with God's will, not just our own will, he will always answer our prayers so that we can be more fruitful. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing in the ESV. Pray continually in the NIV. Pray constantly in the CSB. Or, this is my favorite, never stop praying in the NLT. 
This is very similar to this idea we've seen of abiding in Jesus, that more and more our lives are filled with him. Our thoughts are on him. We're thinking of what would please him. We're becoming more and more like him and enjoying him more and more. This isn't so much coming to God with our wish list or our checklist and just going through it and asking him for the things that we want. It's it's more about being with God, continually practicing the presence of God wherever we are, whatever we're doing, being with him. Now, you might have experienced this, but I, I've seen this recently on, I don't know, a movie or a series that I was watching where there's two characters. It could have been a parent and a child. It could have been two people that were good friends or romantically interested in each other. But the one person wasn't emotionally able to say, hey, I want to spend more time with you. I want to see you. Can we do something together? So they had to create an excuse to see the person. You know, it was like a chore or an errand that they needed to run. Would you, would you come around and help me put this picture on my wall? Because they wanted to see them and be with them. And what we see in John 15 is you never need to make an excuse to come and be with God. He's, he's made his intentions clear to us here. He wants to be with us all the time. He says, abide in me and I in you. He will be with us always for the rest of our lives, living inside of us. And he says, come and remain in me. Remain in my love too. God is showing us. His arms are open. He wants us to come to him and be with him. Really, it's just from our side. Will we respond to his invitation? And yes, prayer is a project. Here, Jesus is saying to us, pray for fruitfulness. Pray the will of God into being because God wants to do those things. But even more than just praying for the mission of God to be fulfilled, praying for fruitfulness, praying in line with God's will, we pray to abide in him, to be with him, to enjoy him, to know him. That's what it's all about. Gary Thomas says, prayer pushes eternity back into our lives, making God ever more relevant to the way we live our lives. And Harbour City, we are living through a crazy time, just the most pressured and difficult time. I know for some of you, this has been really, really hard. And I just want to say at this time, we cannot live off of someone else's relationship with Jesus. You know, we can't live off someone else's revelation from the Bible. We need to be in the scriptures for ourselves, being nourished, our souls being strengthened by God's word. We can't live off someone else's prayer life. You know, I hope we're praying for one another and praying for the church and praying for our world and praying for our city at this time. But we need to be abiding in God, praying for ourselves, hearing from God for ourselves. You know, we can encourage one another or be encouraged by the faith of others. We can um, receive from others gifts or relationship with God. But at this time, each one of us more and more need to be walking with Jesus for ourselves. And we need to remain in the word and in prayer. We need to, church. Finally, Jesus invites us three times, actually in two verses, in verse 9 and 10, to remain in God's love. Now, in part one of the series, I spoke about this already, speaking about how Jesus loves you as much as the Father in heaven loves him which is crazy. I feel like we could camp there as a church for quite a while just to, to try and actually believe and live in that truth that the perfect Father in heaven loves the perfect Son, Jesus, who's always been perfect in every way, has pleased the Father perfectly in every way. The same love that the Father has towards Him is the love that God has towards you in Christ. Isn't that an incredible thing? He knows everything about you more than any other person would know. He knows your heart, your motives, the things you've done that you're not proud of, the things that you are. He knows your most shameful moment. He knows those crazy, weird, dark thoughts you have sometimes when someone offends you or hurts you or when you're hurt or down. He knows it all and he still loves you the same. You see, God will never leave you or forsake you. He is committed to you. He is all in. But will we respond to him and abide in him? That's what's going on here.
But today I want to pick up the second part of what's going on in that verse. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What we see at the end there is this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has kept his Father's commands. He's obeyed his Father in heaven and remained in his love. And he's calling us to do the same thing too. And what we see here is that remaining in God's love, like his word remaining in us or us remaining in prayer, it's an active thing. It's something that we do. It's, it's something that is proactive from our side. As much as God actively loves you and is pursuing you and chasing after you, he calls for a response from us that we would respond to his love and actively remain in his love. So how do we do that? Well, what they say, you know, those people, the experts, is that um, the way love is spelled to kids is T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E, time. That's how you show kids love. But with God, the Bible says love is spelled O-B-E-Y, obey. I know that's cheesy, but you'll remember it. That's what we see here in this passage. And this is exactly what Jesus did. In John 6 verse 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 8 verse 29, Jesus says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. Remaining in God's love is about living to please the Father in heaven, and doing what pleases him, and brings him joy and glory. I was chatting to a friend recently, we were walking together, and he was, I don't know how we got into this, but he was telling me the story of when he was at school, he was an amazing sportsman in the first team for everything. And he said when he did a good sport, you know, when he kicked a good thing or scored a good point or whatever it is, whenever he did that, when he made a good play, he'd always look to the audience, he'd look to the crowd and look at his dad. He was looking for the applause of his father, for the smile or cheer or encouragement or love of his father, because he might not have realized this at the time, but his motive in playing was to please his dad. That was why he was doing what he was doing. He just wanted to please his dad and bring joy to his father. Sadly, in the story of the Bible, we don't see the people of God remaining in the love of God or living to please their father in heaven. What we see instead in the story of God, in the Bible, in the history of humanity, is that God has stood with open arms to his people. He has told us how much he loves us and is committed to us, and his love has been rejected or unrequited by his people as we've gone off and done our own thing. See, one of the strong pictures we see in the Bible is that the people of God are compared to a prostitute again and again and again. You know, this this person, this lover who will come and be with God, but will then go off and be with other lovers, will, will remain in his love, but will then go and remain or plant themselves or abide in other places or with other people. They don't remain in the love of the Father. They reject his love again and again and again. But in all of this, God stands with open arms. It's just like the picture we see in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. If you don't know the story, the son rejects the father. He wishes he was dead. He says, Dad, I want your money. I don't want you. He takes his inheritance. He goes off and he does what he really wanted to do. And he spends it. He blows it. He squanders it. And then he returns later on with nothing. He's a failure. He's lost all of his money. And he comes back humbly to beg his father for forgiveness. But what the father does is he runs out to the son. His arms have been open all the time. But as soon as he sees the son respond, he runs down the road to the son. And this would have been humiliating in that day and age. A wealthy patriarch did not run down the road to his son. No, no, no. He would wait for the son to come to him. But not this father. This father loved his child. 
and he runs out to the child. And before his son can say a single thing or apologize or, or, or just humble himself before his father, the father's arms are around him. His, his prized coat is on his back. He's organizing a party to celebrate that his son who was lost has been found, that he is home. And he welcomes him back with love and kisses and everything that he can give. That's what it's about. You see, remaining in the love of God isn't about being perfect or never making a mistake. If it was, then we'd all be rejected. But remaining in the love of God is about responding to God's love towards us and returning to him again and again and again when we drift and go to other things. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, I want you to notice here, because I think this is important to us today, that Jesus doesn't say in verse 10, if you obey your feelings, you will remain in my love. I think that goes against what a lot of our culture teaches, you know. I think we're almost trained to think that we must follow our hearts and be true to ourselves. But here Jesus says, no, 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 not that. Keep my commands. That's what you must do. If you want to live in my love, if you want to live a good life, if, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to abide in the vine, then keep my commands. Now, after remaining, sorry, often remaining in God's love means disobeying our own feelings or desires or or being untrue to ourselves. Often uh, being faithful to God means being unfaithful to our own desires or or the things that we want or the things we want to go after or, or the desires of the flesh. That's what remaining in God's love looks like. And in 1 John 5 verse 3, John writes and says, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden. And For some of us today, you might think, wow, obeying God, keeping his commands, that does feel like a burden. That that feels like a lot of rules and a lot of have-tos. But as we come to Jesus, as we abide in him, as we love him, as we see him for who he really is, actually love changes those have-tos into want-tos. You know, this morning you might hear me speaking about remaining in prayer and go, you know, I don't want to pray more. But what happens as we come to him, as we remain in his love, is actually that have to becomes a want to. And all of a sudden we say, I want to pray because I want more of God. Or you might think, okay, Grant's talking about remaining in the word or the word remaining in us. Okay, it's another thing for me to do, to read the Bible more. But what happens is as we come to him, as we remain in his love, as we experience his love towards us, We desire to read the Bible more because we want to hear from God and we want to know Him more. We want to be nourished by His Word in our souls. Or maybe our desires start to change and we say, I want to be sexually pure because I know that God's ways are best for me and I know that what God is calling me to do will be best for me in the long run, even if it's not what I want right now. We might start to say, I want to live a generous life because I can see that being a consumer, being materialistic, being selfish with my money and time and things is not good. Actually, I've experienced this generosity. I want to be generous. Maybe we say, I want to serve others because Jesus has served me so generously. Maybe we say, I want to forgive those who have hurt me because Jesus has forgiven me completely. He doesn't remember my sins. He doesn't hold it against me. He's completely forgiven me. Or maybe we obey the command to love our enemies, those who've hurt us the most, because we know that Jesus loved us when we were his enemies, when we were opposed to him, when we rejected him, when his arms were open to us and we went and did our own thing. Even then, Jesus loved us and we say, okay, I'm going to love my enemies, those who've hurt me, who stand against me, who reject me, because of the love that I've experienced from him. Remaining in his love makes us more and more like Jesus. It makes us bear this kind of beautiful fruit. Harbour City, I want to end by saying that this invitation of Jesus 
is for you today, for, for all of us. The invitation to bear fruit, to know God more, uh, to grow, to become who he's called us to be. But if we want to enjoy all of those things, we need to be planted in the right place. We need to remain. We need to abide. We need to stay in the vine. And we need to remain in those things that he's called us to remain in. So I want to ask you, what is the week ahead going to look like for you? You know, what is going to define it for you? Where are you going to remain? What is going to shape you? What will you abide in this week? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for Harbour City. I pray for everyone who is watching this now. That you would reveal yourself to us more and more. And that even now, wherever we're sitting, that we would experience your love towards us. If you need to respond to him this morning in some way, can I ask you to do that in your own heart? Maybe you can just pray a prayer of response to whatever the Spirit has highlighted in your heart today. And if there's an area you want to grow in in all of this, if there's someone God brings to mind, if there's something that has just stood out to you this morning, why don't you pray about that for a second and just wait on God? But I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to meet us where we're at. We need you. We pray that you would empower us to do the things we want to do, to do the things you want for us. Even empower us in this moment to remain in your love where we can so easily drift off to other things. We pray for your help in all of these ways. And we ask you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us more and that you would help us to bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.